0: Welcome to the Willow in the Windies with David Oram. Cricket, lovely cricket, at last where I saw it. Cricket, lovely cricket, at last where I saw it. Yardley tried his best, for that one the test. They gave the crowd plenty fun. The second test and West Indies one with those little pals of mine.
1: and welcome to The Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean cricket podcast. And in this special edition, I'm joined by the former international umpire, John Holder. Greetings, John. Good afternoon, David. How are you? It's nice to hear you. No, very very well. Thanks ever so much to, uh, uh, to the degree to, to have a chat. Um... John, you're best known these days, post-retiring from umpiring, as the adjudicator of You Are the Umpire. This appears weekly in The Observer in the UK during the English cricket season. Uh, It's also, you do it a couple of times a year on Test Match Special, a similar slot during the lunch session.
0: Was on on the MCC um, committee that dealt with the laws. They asked me. They, Peter gave Paul for Travillion, the artist, my number, and um, the rest is history. So mm. I agreed to to answer the questions purely and simply to try to educate the public about the laws of cricket, what it's all about, what umpires can and can't do, and and uh, so that's where it started, mm. and then. What I did was I would I would uh, accompany my answer to the question with an actual incident in a first-class match, or a test match, one the international. Yeah. And then the the Guardian newspaper, which has a book section, um, that is the sister sister newspaper of the Observer. The manager of the book section thought that it would make an interesting book. <laughs> um, so there we are. But I had no, I, at the outset, I had no plans to to write a book. I just was trying to help
1: people will love the game to understand what the laws of cricket are. Mm. No, that's, that's lovely. I mean, we, you say, you know, uh, ambition to write a book. We will come on to a book about you uh, later. I hope we'll have time to talk about that. OK. When I, when I, when I uh, dropped you an email the other day, um, I, I really wanted to talk to you first and foremost about the things that Rod Marsh had said in the recent, um, his recent Cowdrey lecture. Since I since I emailed you, we've had the whole Ben Stokes obstructing the field thing, which has really taken off. Lots of people having opinions on that. I want to start with that, John. What was your take on that? I I
0: thought that I thought that it was not it was not intentional. Obstruction must be seen by the umpires to be intentional. Yeah. And I watched that um, on numerous occasions, and it, there was there was nowhere, in my opinion, that was obstruction. When ben Stokes, ben Stokes left arm went up sort of instinctively, as his head turned away, as if he as if he thought he was going to get hit by the ball, and 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 so I don't see how you could you could um, you could say anyone could say that that was intentional. It was a, to, normally when you catch a ball or knock it away, looking at it. His head was turned away, his hand, his, arm, his left arm just went it instinctively, hmm. as if in a, in a sort of a defensive thing, as if because he may have seen this thing coming towards him. And he was looking at the ball when when, he, when it hit his hand. So for me, it was not obstruction. Yeah. But, yeah. but then it's the whole, I mean, these issues are always contentious because in the final analysis, it is in the umpire's opinion. Hmm. And everyone is going to have an opinion, but... Um, Joel, Wood, I mean the two umpires on the field obviously were were concerned, and, and they weren't certain what had happened. And having re- referred it to the third umpire, he's the one who, he got accepted decision.
1: Yeah. It 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 seemed to me, John. There's there's things that happen on the field that can be really, really bizarre and odd. And yet we now have this added layer of um, doubt created by a third umpire. Uh, There's an extra layer of interpretation. In the old days, I'm sure that incident would have happened and it would have been, oh, it all happened fast, not out. Now it's given to the umpire, third umpire. I, I had great sympathy for Joel Wilson because on slow motion replays, I think he made the right decision. But the point was the best view was actually in real time, wasn't it?
0: Yeah, yeah. And for me, in real time, it was it was not how Even he was, I mean, again, this is, this is a little bit... We both got different opinions because, for me, even in, in, in slow slow motion, it looked as if he had turned away and his arm just went up, yeah. um, sort of in a defensive manner. I don't think there was any intention on Ben Stokes' part to 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 catch the ball to obstruct the ball hmm. uh, from from hitting the wicket, but it's a matter
1: of opinion. Yeah, and and at the end of the day, as we all know, the umpire's opinion is final. And if he says it's out, it is out. Look in the That's book. Right. Um, right. But I, I suspect they'll use incidents like that almost as test cases to sort of say, right, learn from this. There's going to be times in the future where umpires, third umpires, will replay things in full in real time to get a better look at things. David, with the
0: improvement of the constant improvement of TV technology, uh, it's inevitable that um, more, in, more uh, things that are happening on the field that, that wouldn't have been seen pre television are being seen now. Mm. More and more. I, I did my last test match in 2001, Australia at Lawrence. There were 28 cameras on the ground. <laughs> now, when I've, I've got to make a major judgment on Brett Lee bowling at 95 miles an hour. And and the, the, the commentators not only have they got twenty eight camera angles, they've got they've got super slow motion, they've got ultra motion, they they can replay at the same time. And and as 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 T V technology evolves over the years to get better, um, umpires are going to be under more and more scrutiny, more and more pressure. Mm-hmm. And all, and some decisions will, will they will always be contentious
1: decisions. And this is just another of Hmm. G- generally, John, are you are you a fan of um, the intrusion of more? Well, are you, are you a fan of, of things being referred to the Third umpire? Are you? Are you... I, I think I think things are definitive. Like like stumpings run outs um, the fielding, etc. There's a ball carried the slip. Hmm. Um, you know,
0: was it a clean check? I, I don't have a problem with that. Um, there are things on television I don't like. I don't like the fact that umpires now have got to wait for before you can call play at the start of a game or the start of a, of a, of a recession you got to wait for you got to wait for for the team for the um producer to um to give the third umpire permission to to, to tell you to start i don't like i don't like that sort of thing i have the few reservations about the accuracy of the predictive path of Hawkeye, yeah. and I, I had an interesting conversation with Michael Holding last evening, and he's of the same opinion. Um, I, I have seen Hawkeye predict um, the path of a, of Paul on several occasions, and it did not bear, in my opinion, any resemblance to reality. But the, apart from India, all the other boards around the world have accepted um, Hawkeye. And, and whatever it predicts, and, and so you just have to get all this. So there's no point in me, what, you know, getting concerned about and and getting myself in a bother about, I don't like it. It's a factor, right, people have accepted it, so you just have to move on. But again, even Hawkeye,
1: the so-called super-efficient um, accurate thing, that causes controversy as well. Hmm. Uh, you... you saying just then, and you were mentioned before we started chatting that you uh, saw the, the great Michael Holding last night. Michael Holding was one of a, a couple of people who said recently that he would um, be in favour of doing away with the toss. Uh, that's one of the laws of cricket, John. We can't do that, surely. Well, why not?
0: I mean, look, and, and the, the reason being, um, the, re- only reason, the only reason I would, I, I, would, I, would, I would agree with that is because some clubs, some, 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 some Countries, some teams, and the home team sometimes or all too often prepared pitches to suit, their, to suit them. Mm. And and, and it's, I mean, I remember going to Pakistan in 1989 when I did the series in John Hampshire. Yeah. Well, two of the test matches the first test match in Karachi and the last test match in Sialkot they were, they were blatantly prepared for the Pakistan team bowlers. Mm-hmm. and whichever team won the toss and bowled reasonably well was going to have the advantage because the pitch was green and hard and the grass was green and juicy prepared deliberately for, for the home team and with Pakistan's same bowlers Imran Khan Wasim and Wakai Yunus etc. the only reason why they didn't do, didn't win the series was because they dropped about 32 catches in the four matches so for me that, as, as someone who's played the game who loves the game those pitches were prepared deliberately to sink the home team. Mm. Now, if the if in a situation where there's no toss, and the feeding, the, feeding, the the visiting captain has got the option of, of deciding whether the bat off field, it takes the advantage away from the home team. Quite rightly really so. Mm. That is my only reason for, for abandoning
1: the being away with the toss. No, they're, they're very interesting. Interesting to hear different opinions on I mean, it. To me, I'm perhaps old-fashioned and see it as part of the game, but I can I can see the arguments. Um, so, yeah, using the phrase, phrase old-fashioned, um, Rod Marsh, in his uh, recent Cowdery lecture that I uh, particularly wanted to talk to you about, um, I think you uh, read or saw the things he said, the thing that most interested me, he advocated going back to the old back-foot no-ball law. John, is that practical? As far as I'm concerned, that's
0: complete bunkum. <laughs> and I, and I, I spoke with Michael Holding last night, and he said exactly the same.
1: Really? The, the,
0: the whole, the whole pre, before when, when, when the game was played on the uh, what was called the back foot law, and there were there, you had there were many many pictures, vivid pictures of bowler, of a bowler, fast bowler, especially a fast bowler. He's right through the through the ball increase. He's way past the, he's almost upon the pop increase, and yet he hasn't delivered the ball. Mm. So it means, in, in in effect, that he will ultimately deliver the ball for about 18 yards. Mm. Um, and so, to me, that was a nonsense, a complete nonsense. At least with the front foot law, you have to push him back and make sure that he's he actually delivers the ball from near the 22 yards, than 18 yards. Mm. So I, I, I know that Richie Beno and um, the Reds, the Red, Richie Beno and Saddam so Bratman were,
1: were, were serious advocates so that we to into the back foot but I think it's a nonsense. Mm. It, interesting as well that uh, uh, you're quoting Michael Holding there, one of the great fast bowlers. Uh, you weren't a bad little seaman yourself, John. Both as seam bowlers, you're advocating the front foot law, whereas these batsmen and wicket keepers like Marsh and so on, it's only Benno as a leg spinner advocating the back foot law. Um, I, f- I find that very interesting. I wonder whether people like Bob Willis, who had terrible no-ball trouble, whether they would feel the same. No, I haven't. I haven't. Um, I
0: haven't. He's not one of my favorite broadcasters um, because, to me, he's too negative And mm. in that monotone of his, I, he, I find listening to him quite depressing. Um, I, you know, I haven't heard his opinion on, on whether to return to the back-foot law or keep the front-foot law as it is. But I was really pleased with, with what Mikey said last night. And, and he sat right next to me and um, he said, uh, no way it should be
1: returned to the back-foot law. Mm one of one of the side ways things of this that rob marsh was saying that therefore if you had the back foot law the umpire could stand further back he was addressing that in terms of the the safety concerns i know that's something that worries you john
0: Than before, and but I think I think that is is with a game that's played increasingly more aggressively, especially during the 2020 cricket. I think that it's extremely practical for umpires to start wearing protective equipment. Um, umpire, there's, and there's nothing, in my opinion, there's nothing whatsoever wrong in an umpire wearing a helmet, yeah. wearing a box for the protective groin, wearing a chest protector. No. We had the situation last year in Israel where uh, an umpire chap called Hillel Oscar, he's actually a former captain of the Israeli team, and I had measurements in in Scotland a couple of years, a few years before. He got hit by the ball deflecting off the non striker. I think it came off the non striker, hit him in the nose. Mm -hmm. Now, if he'd been standing a yard further back, he would still have been hit. The The reality of umpiring is that. The players are a lot stronger than they used to be. Players now, are in, players now spend hours in the gym. You have more teams have um, strength, strength and fitness coaches as well. So players are a lot stronger, and with the with the with the improved of that technology, where the balls hit that hit the ball a lot further, umpires are increasingly in danger, in, increasingly in danger of being injured. Yeah. And um, umpires, in my opinion, um, should be seriously think of wearing helmets mm. and I mean in, in baseball you've got not only you've got, you've got the pitcher behind the, the striker um, yeah. with a helmet but the referee or the umpire one of his calls he's also wearing a helmet and he's wearing a chest protector as well and I don't see anything wrong with umpires wearing helmets
1: mm. no I think I think you're I think you're right I think it's probably uh, inevitable at, at, at some time uh, just to go back to the, the no balls Before we move on uh, Uh Would would you be in favour then Of seeing uh, Particularly in test matches No balls being called By the third umpire Entirely? No No (laughs) I don't see The the whole whole technique Of 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 a judge Of Of
0: The umpire Calling the ball It really The whole technique Is about Really standing And in relation To to the To the top increase In relation to Who's bowling And the faster the bowler the further back, there's sort of an optimum distance where you stand, where you focus on the on the on the crease where the foot lands, and then you quickly just raise your eyes because you haven't got time to, to to raise your head. You raise your eyes to the to the to the end where the batsman is, where the actual striker is. Uh, for me, it's, it's not. I mean, umpires have always missed no balls, and will always miss no balls, but I don't see. I, don't, I do hope that we never come across a situation where the umpires are not looking at the popping crease. This being left to the third umpire, mm. I hope we never ever see that. Very umpires, in my umpires, in my opinion, have got enough time to look at the popping crease and then quickly lift their eyes to the far end to where the batsman is receiving the ball.
1: Mm. Uh, Very very interesting to come from somebody that uh, spent many years out there doing it and knows exactly what's involved rather than the the hearsay of uh, the the thousands that didn't. Um, I just want to move slightly away from your umpiring career uh, for uh, for a little bit, Uh, John, uh, and back at your your playing career. Um, Just as a a little preamble, I went to the the Lords test this this year against Australia and I was in the company of Stuart Turner, former opponent of yours, the, uh, the Essex player. And uh, uh, while we were there, uh, he was looking around for, for old colleagues he'd played with and against. And, and I pointed out to him that Barry Richards was on the ground signing copies of his uh, new biography. And uh, I, I said to him, oh, why didn't you go around and see the great Barry Richards? And Stuart said to me, the great Barry Richards? I had him for a pair in 1971 at Westcliff. And I, I found this hard to believe. So I looked straight on the internet and he was almost right. Barry Richards caught Turner bowled Keith Boyce naught in the first innings second innings caught Boyce bowled Turner naught he got he did indeed get a pair you played in that game I'm not going to ask you how good a cricketer was Stuart Turner how good a batsman was Barry Richards one, one of the
0: best ever one technically one of the best I and mean, he had a fantastically analytical mind he was a wonderful player mm. and uh, I mean I've never, seen, I've never seen anybody back better than Barry Richards. Barry Richards was so great a player that he was, he was, cool when he when he wanted to, almost like that. He was, he had a, he had, he had a, a, an air of confidence, almost arrogance. He played straighter than any other batsman I have ever seen. He, he made that it was ridiculously easy at times. <laughs> I, rem- I remember I remember a country match against North France. I think it was in nineteen seventy two. it was the seventh nineteen seventy 1970 or nineteen seventy two? On a on a raging turner, what we call the Bunsen. And they had the great former left Indian left arm spinner Bishan Bari mm. and Mushtaq Mustaq Ahmed from Pakistan. Yeah. from Pakistan. Yeah. Big like spinner. And on the fourth inning, Hampshire they set a target on a typically turning almost square. And and in the in the pre-innings conversation, discussion among the players, Bowie said to the captain Richard Gilead that the only way to the only way to play these two spinners because they were the they were the biggest threats to us was not to let the ball land. <laughs> And he did exactly that. He scored a hundred, mind-blowingly brilliant. As the ball around arm was coming over, he was down the pitch. <laughs> and then there were times when he would he was, he, he was saying that going. To-
1: That's, that's wonderful. I mean, going back to this this match, I was quoting this uh, this county game. I was astonished to see just, just looking at the batting order. Alongside Richards in the top five, there was also uh, Gordon Greenwich, but still playing for Hampshire. Then I didn't realise you'd overlap with him so much. Was Roy Marshall? Yes, I mean I Roy Marshall, great former Barbados and West Indies
0: player. Um, I when I joined Hampshire in '66, Roy, Roy was well past his best in mm. terms of age and so on. But he was a wonderful player. I mean, you don't have a record like he had. A, he had, without being like, exceptionally good, and he would. And I in the in the years that we played, but I, I played played him a little bit, and uh, because I made my 1st last debut in '68, hmm. so I played him from '68 to '72. But Wright played some brilliant innings, and um, he didn't play this sort one of a long, many long innings like Barry did, hundreds and so on. cameo so he in his prime he would have been a wonderful player
1: I was again interested. You, you reminded me there that you uh, uh, finished in 1972. Um, in 1973 at Hampshire, uh, there came along some young whippersnapper from from Antigua, uh, name of Andy Roberts. Did did he actually um, t- take your place? Did he? Well, yes. Yeah, me, I
0: mean, Andy, my 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 back had given out, um, I had the, I had a situation at Hampshire where I, when I went to in, in, I went to Hampshire in I could I could bowl light and fast at the time, in fact. Mm. West Indies came to England my first year at Hampshire in 66. And West Indies came to England. And then they played Hampshire at the old Southampton ground in Northlands Road. Um, Peter Leslie, who was a Barbadian who played with the West Indies team, he actually introduced me to Gary Sobers, And, and he said to Gary, This fellow can bowl as fast as West or I could bowl in the, in the 90s. But Hampshire. Um, in those days, um, the 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 among coaches, most coaches that both sides have had the both sides on. I bowled a little bit of but a bit like Malcolm Marshall, a sprint to the pitch, a sprint yeah. to the wicket, and delivered. And they changed, they started almost immediately changing my action to both was on. And as a youngster, the next, you know, um, I thought that maybe the coach knew exactly what he was what he was talking about. <laughs> And I and I of course I started listening and to to try and get side on, but it it, it it ruined my back.
1: Mm-hmm. So
0: in 1970 I woke, got out of bed because I see 1970 um, after a process of constantly trying to bolt side on, and I lost my accuracy and I and I I couldn't walk for a while. Mm-hmm. So that really so I, I that was development of my back foot back problems which in. Uh, Nineteen seventy-two, eight twenty-seven. Brought an in. Put uh, brought him into my uh, my first-class playing career.
1: Mm. So it's. So this...
0: I, I, yes. Yeah, so, and then I, and I. after a year and a half back in Barbados, I came back to England in '74 and played in the leagues here in Lancashire and Yorkshire for, for nine years, and
1: then started on playing in 1983. Yeah, uh, I, I I didn't know that about the you'd had your your action mucked about. So it's not just a modern phenomenon for people like Stephen Finn and uh, Jimmy Anderson having experts muck about with young men's bowling actions. <laughs>
0: Almost ruined him. Mm. In fact, for quite a while he lost it. And um, and he was boring. He, 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 was, he, he lost his effectiveness. He was boring medium discs. But Stephen Finn was, was different because Stephen Finn's um, change of action started because of the South Africans three years ago here in the test match at Headingley, where Finn used to run in. And get close to the wicket yeah. and bowl with a speed of light from close to the wicket, but he would quite often break the stuff the wicket at the bowler's end in delivery. And the South Africans, in my opinion, quite cynically and, and wrongly um, complained to the umpire about, about being distracted when things flicked the, 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 the wicket and broke the bill. Yeah. So his change of action came about as a result of. The coach had to because once they brought in this regulation now, where the, the every time you break the wicket, it becomes a no ball. He had to he had a change to continue in, in in top class. he had a change. So in, in in so the coach tried to get him to go up deliver the ball from wider, away from further away from the from the wicket. So that's why there was a change in his action. Mm. That's the only reason. It wasn't a case of the coach mucking muck, mucking around. Uh, with his action, for just to, just to, just
1: because he had the power to do so. Mm. And, and and I know also that the uh, the other side of that, that, that the whole thing that then changed the, again the no ball law uh, for dislodging the bails, that the, the bowlers, in you didn't agree with that either.
0: Well, it's nonsense. An it doesn't, it, doesn't, it, doesn't make, it doesn't make any sense at all. Mm. So any, if you if you look at the actual mechanics of a batsman preparing to receive a ball from their bowler. The batsman is watching how, to, first of all, the batsman watches how the bowler grips the ball. He's looking for the grip because that will indicate to him what the ball is trying to do with the ball. Then, as the ball starts to run up, he's watching the bowler's hand, and he's watching the bowler's hand all the way through the run-up, and through the delivery, through the coil, and delivery, and he watches the batsman have the bowler's hand, through the delivery, the ball leaves the hand, and he watches it all the way down the pitch to the ball until he makes contact with it or he lets it pass. Yeah. At no stage does he look at the bowler, does he feel aware of the bowler having flicked the wicket and knocked the bail off. Yeah. That's, the, that's, the, that's the reality. Now, the same, two days after that incident, uh, two days after that incident at Henry, with Steven Finn, when, when umpire. um when the umpire calls get ball, I, I was umpiring here in the, in the Central Lancashire League, and I had a very, very similar incident, identical incident, where mm-hmm. the bowler, the um, a, 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 a into a batsman, and he bowled from my end, and as he bowled the ball from close to the wicket, sort his of foot clipped and clipped the wicket and the bill fell off. He bowled a perfectly, perfect the pitcher we as a striker reached and played it on the off side and ran a single. Now when he got to my end <clears> and then the ball became that I said to him, Were you distracted? And he said, By what? <laughs> I said I said, Well the bowler actually kicked the wicket in delivery, he said, I was watching the ball. Mm-hmm. So for me this thing with the South was a was was a, a ploy put Stephen Finn off, off, off his stride. Yeah. There was never, there's never any distraction. There's no distraction. I it mean, I can understand a baller running up and actually plowing into the wicket at the baller's <coughs> end. Now, that was, that's a distraction. But your foot or your hand flicking the wicket, there were two, in my, in my umpire career, and there were two players cler- in county cricket, Mark Healing from Kent and another chap from Worcestershire. Name I can't remember uh, uh, right now. They used to, they used to regularly break the wickedness Yeah. Or oh, the fellow from Worcester, the fellow called Stuart Lappin. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I I I don't I entirely entirely agree with you, John. Um, absolutely, and it worked. It worked. Um, we're just about to wrap up, but I, I do want to do want to mention and, and take things full circle. We talked about Barry uh, Richards uh, not so long ago, and his uh, the new book on him, the new biography, uh, which was written by a, a former Hampshire colleague of you both, Andrew My Former Hampshire colleague, Andy a great character, um, like me, didn't
0: quite meet the grade. Um, Andy, um, after leaving Hampshire, uh, became a master at Malvern College. And his command of the English language is absolutely second to none. <laughs> he's a man with a great sense of humour as well. We had a lot of fun in our in our days together. and We still do now. And uh, yeah, so he he did he did Barry's he did that, that Barry's, that Barry's biography. and he's doing mine as well. Yeah. In fact, we just we've just done the, the final chapter. And that's been sent back. I have proofread the the final chapter and sent it back to him. And now it's going to go through all of the various processes now until publication. The, the publishers have said it will be ready for the spring next year.
1: Definitely. Now, Michael Michael Holding has done the forward. He's done a brilliant,
0: brilliant forward, which is which is going to to raise a few eyebrows because he's obviously done his homework and he and he's. Issues in the game in my my years of umpiring, mm. uh, which which have affected my career um, at test level, and um, which have never for which the board has never made any com- any comment any explanation. Mm. So it's, it's going to be it's going to be an interesting book and it's going to it's going to ruffle a few feathers, but nothing nothing to the extent of anybody labelling. But it's no. going to raise some interesting.
1: Yeah, well, we, we, we very much look forward to that uh, in the spring, both uh, both your life story and uh, uh, the, the few words from Mikey. Um, I think that's about all we've uh, got time for, so it's going to be time to call time and lift the bales John. Thank you ever so much for joining me. No, that's that's lovely, and uh, and thanks for all those that have been listening. Uh, this has been a special edition of the Willow in the Windies, the Caribbean Cricket Podcast, and I hope you'll be able to join us again soon. Goodbye.